Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. It's such a treat for me to be able to share a lot of my adventures with with um, authors and, and amazing books that have fallen into my lap and have enlightened me in my journey. And it's, it's great to share them with you. Um, before we go forward, though, I want to thank Ken Quiet Hawk for his amazing intro. Please seek him out on the Internet. Um, you can find him... If you look up Native Storytellers or just look up Ken Quiethawk, his way of sharing history and cosmology and telling of stories is profound, a profoundly better way of passing history on to another generation, and I think we should all pay attention to it. Check him out. It's an amazing story that he has to tell in and of himself. I have Judith Valenti with me today, and she has written an amazing book. It's called... How to Be a Monk and a Journalist, Reflect on Living and Dying, Purpose and Prayer, Forgiveness and Friendship. It is a spiritual seeker's guide to living with authenticity and integrity in the troubled times by a lauded journalist and a monk mentored by Thomas Merchant. The book is a dialogue between two spiritual seekers, one a Trappist monk and the other a married professional woman. It's two people struggling to articulate life's universal questions from diverse concepts and perspectives. Brother Paul writes, as one steeped in silence and the daily rhythms of the ancient prayer practices of monasticism, and Judith writes as a professional woman attempting to bring a sense of prayer and contemplation to a scattered life in the secular world. She uses the story of Brother Paul's interview for a PBS documentary as a jumping-off point. When asked for the purpose of the Trappist life in the modern world, he said that it is to show you don't need a purpose. The purpose of life, he said, is life. You're here to live your life. How to Be offers a window into two people living their lives on purpose, hopefully, or not, and struggling to come to terms with the big issues everyone faces, faith, mortality, mystery, prayer, work. It's a book that provides insight and inspiration for those walking the spiritual pathway, particularly for those who are interested in the contemplative path. Judith is a former staff writer for the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal and a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in Journalism. She's a former correspondent for PBS's Religion and Ethics News Weekly and senior correspondent for investigative reporting and long features at the NPR affiliate in central Illinois. She's also a special correspondent covering faith and values and arts and culture for Chicago's public radio. She contributes articles to the U.S. Catholic Magazine and National Catholic Reporter. 
So all I have to say is, you know, this is this is an inspiring book, and everybody should have a brother, Paul. Welcome to the show, Judith. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, you know, your book was, was fascinating to me because um, I like to think I've been on a spiritual journey for almost 60 years now, and and that I have been a seeker, and um, I've always looked for other seekers, and I think that you and Brother Paul found each other, and, and the two of you are extremes, and yet blending the two views gives you a perfectly balanced, beautiful perspective on life as we know it. So how did you ever find this amazing pen pal? Well, uh, sometimes like attracts like, as you know. And, uh, you know, as, as someone myself who was on a spiritual journey, I was covering faith and values for PBS TV. I had the privilege to do a, a retrospective on Thomas Merton uh, for his 40th death anniversary. And I was sent to the Abbey of Gethsemane where Merton lived. Thomas Merton, of course, one of the greatest spirituality authors of the 20, 20th century. And I asked if there were any monks there who knew Merton personally, and I was directed to a monk called Brother Paul Quinnen. <laughs> and that's the beginning of the story. Um, we, he had been a novice when Merton was the novice director at the Abbey of Gethsemane. The novice director is responsible for the education, the early formation of monastic, of, of, of novice monks. But he also was Brother Paul's personal spiritual director. So Merton um, knew Brother Paul in a special way, and P- Brother Paul knew Thomas Merton in a very personal way. And Brother Paul and I hit it off immediately because of his love of poetry and the fact that he writes poetry. He's written, in fact, nine collections of poetry. Several have come out since I did that interview with him in 2009, um, but our relationship goes back uh, more than more than 10 years now. And so we hit it off on our mutual love for poetry. And there were things that he said in the interview, and Barbara, you hit upon one of them that really struck me, because at that point in my life, yes, I was a spiritual seeker. I was seeking a more contemplative way of living, but also I had the sense that I had to earn my keep on this earth, that, that I had to earn people's love and respect. And, um, you know, my work was the most important thing about me. And without my work, I was, I was really nothing very much at all. And for him to say, you know, you don't, you don't have to worry about having a purpose in life. Uh, the purpose of life is to live your life. You wouldn't be here if God didn't want you on this blessed earth. So, so quit worrying about, you know, whether you whether you're good enough or great enough or talented enough or successful enough. The purpose of life is to live your life. So that was was number one. And number two was uh, as a busy professional, I wanted to live in a more reflective, contemplative way. And he said something else in that interview, that interview for PBS. He said, um, contemplation is nothing more than a big fat word for gratitude. (laughs) For gratitude for what is, for the blessings right in front of you. And that was another big eye-opener for me. So I'll stop there because I could talk about... (laughs) Brother Paul and what he's meant to me forever and ever, but I know you have other questions. I do, and you know, it's it's sort of like, um, first of all, he he en- he entered the monastery at seventeen, mm-hmm. and that's that's a very young age to know that that's where you belong, and I think that that that's something that is that is very unique because all of us. I'm seventy eight. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be if I grow up. <laughs> so, you know, it's 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 a this life is a journey and to know where you know where your pathway is at that age is 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 just amazing. Um and and the fact that, you know, you're you're caught in a different you know, we're 
we're in the same reality he's in, but in a different compartment, I guess, is the better way to put it. Um, he's, he's truly found a direction and a way to get there and, and something that gives him satisfaction and, and love. And the rest of us are all still seeking it, uh, a, a balance between surviving in reality and putting the spiritual into our lives to a degree that it's, it's balanced with the, the physicality that, that we have to exist in in order to function. And I think that, that the two of you writing letters on, on all sorts of different topics Gives, it gives a great perspective as, you know, here's, here's what I'm struggling with. And then, and then you know, I, I, certainly he has struggled from time to time with different aspects of life. But always his perspective has been one of peace and tranquility while, you know, chaos reigns in the real world here. So that, so that I, I know that you get stuff from corresponding with him that helps you and I would imagine you're bringing your perspective into his reality enhances his as well. So it's, it's an amazing process that the two of you have discovered. And I think one that I'm not saying everybody should get a pen pal in a monastery, but I am suggesting mm. that people find someone who is, who is on the same type of journey, spiritually speaking, and write letters to them as opposed to picking up the phone or, God forbid, the computer. Um, because there's something about putting your feelings in writing and sending them to someone that is so much more introspective than flashing off an email someplace or, or horrifyingly, uh, a text message. I think that... Well, one of the we, reasons, yeah... Yeah, exactly. One of the reasons I wanted to publish the insights I gleaned from the letters that Brother Paul has written me is the fact that, as you mentioned, he, he is kind of a dying breed. There aren't people like him, very, there aren't very many people like him left who have spent 60-plus years in monastic life, 60-plus uh-huh. years trying to pursue a contemplative life in a monastic community. They're just, people are just not entering at 17 anymore and staying for that long. They might enter at 40 or 50 or even 60 uh, after they've had a full career or maybe they've had a marriage and they're widowed, um, uh-huh. something like that. And so it was a way of preserving the wisdom of this person who has had uh, a very unique life and you, you hit upon a really good point in, in your comments there, Barbara, that um, I'm writing about things that are happening in my life and kind of looking to him for some guidance and finding out that he, he struggles with some of the same things. For example, I was um, struggling with whether or not to leave my job in full-time journalism with a, a national public radio affiliate here in Illinois where I was a senior correspondent to devote myself full-time to writing spirituality books. And one of the reasons I wanted to leave was because I, I, just, I just was not seeing eye to eye with there was a change in, in news directors and I was having difficulty in that relationship. Um, he seemed to not like me, not like my work, you know. <laughs> you know, we've uh-huh. all been there. You know, we, I had a great oh, yeah. news director before then for my first five years with the station. I had a great news director. We got along like a, like a hand in a glove. And then this other guy, you know, just I couldn't do anything right. And lo and behold, I find out that Brother Paul, you know, who's a cook at the monastery, one of his jobs is to be a cook, you know, also experienced tensions with his fellow monks and his coworkers. And so what he told me about how he how he coped with those tensions and how he tried to diffuse them and resolve them in a peaceful, more meditative way, um, I think ha- has applications for those of us in the in the secular work world. Well, I I loved his his statement about you know the purpose of life is life. Um, I know most people in the spiritual field or on the spiritual, no, let me put it in a different way. Those people who are on a spiritual pathway, um, being in the world means that you're stagnant. On the pathway means you're moving along. 
um, those who are on a spiritual pathway often feel that there is, I have a purpose in life, I have to figure out what it is. And the reality is, no, you don't. <laughs> the the right. purpose is to live, to live each moment to its fullest and trust that, that your purpose will be fulfilled by doing that rather than, you know, I, I tell people sometimes your purpose in life is to hold the door open for a little old lady going into the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so so that kindness and love and living that aspect of your life oftentimes will get you in trouble, but but maybe that's the purpose. Well, and, and, and something discover- Brother Paul says a lot is that the, your purpose changes over time too, and so right. you know, I and, and you 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 hit upon this what you were saying too, Barbara, that um, we have to be open to our purpose changing that, you know, maybe we're meant to be uh, a medical doctor at this point in our life, but then, then we might be feeling a, a, a still small voice in ourselves calling us to something else like creative writing or um, uh-huh. carpentry or whatever, whatever it might be. And, um, and that happens, you know, he, he showed me how that happens too in the monastery that not everybody stays in the same job. He stayed as a cook for 20 some odd years and then he had to change and he became something else in the monastery. And then he felt called back to being a cook. So, um, you know, our purpose does change over life. And I think we have to sort of be open to that and not put ourselves in a box. Well, I think too, it's, it's don't get so locked into what you think and flow with what you feel. Um, because I know I spent 25 years teaching special education and I left it because of a car accident and thought, um, oh my gosh, what do I do with my life now? And then I realized that, that I'm also teaching spirituality and this teaching is rich and, and abundant for me so that, so that my earlier teaching was just a preface, preface for teaching another level of inspiration, you know, and putting it out there, not knowing who's in the classroom, but knowing that there is a classroom out there. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. But, but, I, I'm sure there's there's people who are going to listen to your your podcast and might be just feeling that pull to do something else, and that's very significant. We have to pay attention to the to that you know to that uh, nudging inside of us, particularly if it's persistent. Um, so many of us, myself included, will stay in a job too long. You know, I, I should have uh-huh. left my 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 job with NPR, the NPR station, a year before I did, and it was a miserable, you know, last year. I should have left when that when that nagging voice began, and I didn't. But you know, it was fear that kept me there. You know, fear that well, what's the next step going to be? And that some of your listeners may may be worrying. Well. What's the next step for me? But until you take it, you can't form it. You know, the, the, the poet right. uh, Antonio Machado says, the path is made by walking. <laughs> so, yes. so until you, you start taking those steps, of co- you know, when you start taking those steps, the path will, will come into place. I'm, I'm sure you found that's true as well. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, it, it unfolds for you if you trust it. And, and, and just... Go with you know, go with the flow. It it sounds like a a cheap phrase, and and it probably is at this point in time. But the reality is, when when there is movement, don't fight it. Flow with it. And and uh, when people you know call me and say I just lost my job, I I I usually say, oh that is so fantastic. That means that it's time <laughs> for change. That that you haven't right. changed. So that you. The universe just took it in its hands and said, well, she's not listening to us, so let's just drop the thing and let her, you know, move on to what she needs to move on to. And I would say that nine out of ten times, no, I would say ten out of ten times, if if you take this as an opportunity to grow and play with the different opportunities that you've got or different qualities of yourself that you haven't really been working with, that that things just unfold for you. They happen. And 
you have to trust that there there is another plan out there and uh and actually i believe our 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 pathway our journey our roadmap is in our dna but we just haven't figured out how to read it yet and besides well, that, that's if you a good knew way to you, look at it yeah. but if you knew where you were supposed to go there wouldn't be any point to the journey right Right, right. Oh, yeah, there's a great, there's a, another great quote that I keep of Brother Paul's that he taught me. He says, if you, if you think, if you think you've found the way, you're lost. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it, it's like what the, what the Buddhists say, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him, you know, because yeah. there's no, you know, there's no finality, there's no, uh, you know, this is the door. I found it. It's a constant journey. It's a constant going to the next next step. Yes. Well, I think too, when when corresponding with somebody that has the opportunity to meditate all day, if they feel the need, or or has have the you know, I I frankly meditate, but I do it in different ways at different times. Um, he has the 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 opportunity. To, to flow into that aspect, he has the routine that allows for hours of contemplation if, if he so chooses. Um, and he doesn't have the call on him to, you know, fill a job, to, to click a time clock. To He's been able to let go of all of his needs in the physical world, so to speak, to be able to just be in the spirit and in spirit in a place that is protected and um that's a way of life that that um i mean it's not my way but i i certainly respect someone who is who has taken their whole life and used it for that purpose and the richness that it must have meant to his soul and his, his spirit is is just amazing so and that you've well, one got thing I, I, I go ahead i'm sorry no, no, go ahead. Well, well, one thing that, that I, I suggest people do is to carve out some time in their in their year, in their busy year, to, to spend time in a monastery. You know, a week here, a week there, maybe a week in the autumn, a week in the spring. Um, you can go as guests to any of these monasteries. I mean, even though Brother Paul's monastery is, is what's considered a cloistered monastery in that the monks stay there. They don't go out and teach. They don't go out and work in hospitals. Their their work is prayer. Their prayer life uh-huh. is their work. So when you go to the monastery, you participate in the prayers, which I believe are eight times a day, including there's a mass. So including mass, there's eight prayer times, set prayer times a day. It starts with vigils at 3.15 in the morning. <laughs> They're up at 3.15 a.m. and praying and um, and then six, um, I think it's six or six fifteen is um, is what's called lauds or morning prayer, and then they have mass, and then there's there's prayers then throughout the day up to five o'clock is vespers, and then seven fifteen is what's called compline, a beautiful evening, short fifteen minute evening service um, that ends with it's the same prayers every day, beautiful prayers. And the abbot blessing all the monks, you know, he sprays them with holy water, with blessed water, and all the guests get the same blessing, and everybody goes off to bed at quarter to eight, you know, because they've got to get up then for their prayers at 3.15. So I highly recommend, you know, people taking time uh, to go on a retreat to a monastery and if they can't go to a monastery, see if there's just a retreat center, a spirituality center near where they live. Um, there are many spirituality centers run by Jesuits, for example. Um, Franciscans uh-huh. have, have retreat centers. But I think it's, you know, Jesus says in the New Testament, uh, come, away, come away with me and rest a while. And I think that's the way that we should look at that time for ourselves that we take at retreats or visits to monasteries. Very important. Well, I think, um, too, to experience their chanting, which is just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's actually, it was the foundation for solfeggio music um, that, that 
you know, helps to, their, their chanting was at a particular wavelength that hit the, the frequency in the brain to make it peaceful and balanced. And that's where Solfeggio music came from, you know, generations mm-hmm. later. But it was their chanting that, that is so beautiful. And, and anyone, you know, I, there, are, there are albums out there you can listen to, to to listen to the way their voices have, have such power, such profound, profound profundity to it that it does take you to another realm within yourself. Absolutely, and, and that's what people often say impresses them about a visit to a monastery, or and what they take away is that is that sung liturgical prayer, and what they're what they're singing is the psalms, um, you know, mm-hmm. the psalms that are available to all of us to read every day. Um, these are these are the psalms put to music, and it's it's very very beautiful when you hear all of these voices singing as one. It's it's almost like a heavenly choir, if if you will. Absolutely. Well, yeah. No. Absolutely. Can I go back to something else that you you were you were talking about? Um, sure. You know about the structure of monastic life and the, you know, the prayer and everything. You know, those are that's that's the very serious part. You know, that's that's of course the heart of monastic life. But this relationship with Brother Paul, one of the greatest gifts he gave me was to. Um, show me how to be more playful. Um, he is a he and many of the monks. They're very. They haven't lost the kind of childish curiosity and creativity and sense of wonder about life. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, Brother Paul got me to climb a tree for the first time in my life. I was forty something <laughs> years old. I had never climbed a tree. He climbs trees all the time. So he wanted me to climb a tree. So I climbed a tree. He wanted me to see if I could, if, if, which one of us could run and jump on top of a rolled haystack. You know, I don't know um, if, you, if you live in a farm area or not. I, I now live in I a do. farming area of, okay, of Illinois. So you know how high those rolled haystacks are. They're, you know, they're, they're pretty tall. They're, you know, maybe six feet tall, those haystacks up close. So of course I couldn't I couldn't jump on top of it, but he could jump on top of it, and so you know we had fun doing that. And then he and then he and then he he challenged me to walk backwards in a familiar place to get a new perspective on it, and that was very interesting. So um, you know the first time I did that, I noticed all kinds of things. I was at the monastery and I noticed all kinds of things that I hadn't noticed walking ahead forward you know the normal way of walking uh-huh. straight ahead and then the other thing that we do now together is we dance <laughs> he loves to put on music and dance but particularly dance barefoot in the grass outside oh yeah and you know it was like my gosh you know it was like rediscovering kind of my childhood wonderment again uh, to dance with him. And sometimes he, he whips off his shirt, you know, if, if we're out on a walk, for example, he usually just wears a shirt and slacks. He doesn't have his monk's habit on. <clears throat> and he'll whip off his shirt so he'll be in his undershirt. And he'll just start twirling his shirt over his head and tossing it to me and me tossing it back to him. And we just have a wonderful time. Um, so I think that's another thing we rediscover about ourselves when we, when we slow down, um, Barbara, and, and try to tap into that part of ourselves that is, that is seeking silence, seeking pause, seeking more contemplation and reflection. What, what do you think? Well, I, joy is not complicated. And I think that that being able to awaken that joy within within is 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 an amazing part of spirituality. And I think what what so many people don't understand is that yes, there is quiet, there is peaceful, but there's also laughter. And if you don't have the laughter, you're missing a key ingredient in life. 
and they say often that laughter is the best medicine, and it truly is. If you can, if you can have joyful laughter in times of, of incredible stress, it, it, it absolutely dissipates the stress. And, and I'm not saying making fun of someone or whatever. Understanding the ridiculous position you've put yourself in and, you know, saying to yourself, at least, at least when I've done it, it's like, good heavens, look at the mess I have created. And then it's like, what was I thinking? You know, where was I going with this? This is just disaster. And, you know, and then you start to realize, okay, so I created this for some reason. Where's the learning? And is there a lesson here that I've repeated over and over again and my and the universe just wants me to stop being ridiculous and get on with life? I mean, <clears throat> it's important to have joy on top of everything else. The, the simplicity of joy is just profound, and you can take joy in the simplest. Um, my neighbor has a 19-year-old who is, who is um, handicapped to a certain degree. And, and she has an issue, a psychological problem, whatever. But we had a, an incredible rainstorm, and there's a culvert behind my condo. And, you know, it goes way down, and that's where all the storm water comes. And this 19-year-old was splashing around in it mm-hmm. like a 5-year-old. Right. And the joy right. that, rea- that radiated from her right. was infectious. All you all you could do was sit and laugh with her. It was spectacular, and I don't think I'll ever forget that moment. It was just so full of joy. She splashed and she jumped and she. I mean, it was just amazing. And so many times we get so tied up in the complexities of life, we forget the joy that is also a part of that life. And and once you bring the joy in, it dissipates everything. And and what, what, you can what you're it. talking about is free, is free. I mean, this joy is free. That rain was free. Absolutely. It was a, a free gift. Uh, you don't need the $3 million yacht to have fun. No. You know, you could, you could splash around in the rain. You could dance barefoot in the grass. And I think mm-hmm. that's, is, especially in our American culture, uh, don't you think, Barbara, we, we miss that. We miss that point. Um, well, we think the more and, and expensive, the, the better. You know, the more expensive, the more joy it's going to bring. Well, no. Well, a three million dollar yacht is just a very expensive hole into which you throw more money. Um, <laughs> but, but also, what Brother Paul did too, with going barefoot. I mean, so many people don't understand that the Earth has a heartbeat, and if you mm-hmm. walk on the Earth in your bare feet, your heartbeat will will begin to resonate and to to flow and to have the same beat as the earth mother and the more you walk on 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 you know you don't do it in the snow obviously but um i I will go to nurseries in the area if it's if the ground is frozen and take my shoes off and walk among you know their beds there because Mm -hmm. if you can get if you can ground yourself it's called earthing if you can get yourself in connection with the Earth Mother, your heartbeat is, is slower. It, it, it has a healing quality to it that is quite profound, and it does put you in a better frame of mind to be able to address some of the complexities that are out there in the world today. Um, walking barefoot uh, on, on grass somewhere is something You're that, so that right. I try mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, I try to do it every day. It's getting colder, so you know, may not be doing it quite so often. But but well, in, term, it, in terms of that walking barefoot, what you know, what Brother Paul would say was, our feet, our feet have their own intelligence, and yes. walking barefoot is a way of reclaiming the intelligence of our feet. Um, and I think it's similar to what you're saying, Barbara. Oh, absolutely. And you know, you think about the Native Americans; they had less illness. Than, than the people that came in and brought all the disease, the disease with them. But, but they did not have the same, um, they had a healthier focus on life because they were in touch with the earth. And the earth is, 
is the Earth Mother. It, it nurtures us. It feeds us. It it protects us. And so I, I think that, that you know, it, it different different explanations for why you do it, but but doing it is the important part. And I think that that he had has some very profound lessons to teach everybody. That and the fact that you know you two share the poetry, which is really amazing. Um, I've um, never I'm glad understood you brought how... up the. I'm glad you brought up the poetry because go ahead and finish, and then I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about yeah. the poetry and because it might might interest your readers, it might be a meditative practice they could do. But go ahead. Yeah, you I've were, never you, totally gonna... understood haiku. I write poetry okay. usually free usually free verse. Sometimes it rhymes, sometimes not. But haiku is a whole other art form that I have never totally integrated myself into. Well, it's very easy. Okay, when I first met Brother Paul, he said that he wrote a three-line poem, a Japanese haiku, which is 17 Uh syllables, five syllables in the first, seven syllables in the second line, um, five five syllables in the third line. So 17 syllables total. And it just a haiku is just a moment in stasis, a moment in in a moment in in time that you record in those seventeen syllables. And he said he writes a Japanese haiku a day as part of his meditative practice. And so we started to I started to write a Japanese haiku a day, and I still do um, as part of my meditation practice. And what it does is it slows you down. It it's it causes you to be looking and listening for what will be your three lines for this day. And it's a wonderful practice and simple practice, meditation practice, anyone can do. Um, He and I exchanged haiku over, I think it was three years. And then we decided we'd, we'd put them together in a book with three paragraph reflections for every day. So you could read the haiku that one or the other of us wrote, and then there would be three short paragraphs of reflection for the day based on the haiku. And the haiku often gives you a moment in nature, but not always. Some of my haiku, I was living much of that time in the city of Chicago, so a lot of my haiku had kind of an urban feel to them. And, of course, he was living on the grounds of the monasteries. They have, I don't know, 400 acres or something like that. So he's, he was steeped in nature. His were more nature haiku, um, but whatever you know, whatever your environment, there's there's material to draw from it. Um, there's creative material in it for your for your haiku for the day. So I recommend people try that as a meditation practice, and if they can, to find a partner with whom to exchange your haiku, because that's a lot of fun. And it's a great way to bond with another person because you, you're, you're, you're um, getting to see what that other person observes. So, you know, why is, why is this moment important to that person? You learn about the other person. You may, it may be somebody you've, you've known for years, but you'll find out something new about them. So I'm really, really big on that, writing the haiku a day. And, um, you know, Brother Paul sometimes... Um, you know, we'll put several of his three-line poems together and create one longer poem. That's also something that you could do if you want to do. Put your put your three lines, you know, into collect them, so to speak, into a longer poem. But I kind of like just doing the three lines a day because <laughs> any, anybody, any you know, to write a whole poem is somebody who myself has two books of poetry. It's hard to write a good poem. It's hard to write one good poem. And so three lines I can handle, you know. Uh, three lines anybody can handle of poetry. So oh, yeah, that, I that's totally what I have agree. to say. I, <laughs> I, have, I have a book of poetry out there called Whispers of Spiritual Wisdom, and it's the poems. And then because, I, because a late husband, when, yeah, my late husband, um, thought the poetry should be published, and I said, you can't just publish poetry. It has to have some sort of blurbs or something with it so that there's mm-hmm. some meat there for people to chew on. And so he, he, he uh, made me do the blurbs. And um, 
So, yeah, I, you're absolutely right. There, there are times that I will get two or three lines of a poem and then just die trying to figure out, how do I finish this? Mm-hmm. What, you know, where can I flow with it? And, and actually, if you get into that practice, into that flow, into that giving yourself that time each day, then, then you, the rhythm of your body will open you to inspiration at that moment, and, and you'll, you'll find things flow more easily. And it will take weeks to get into that rhythm, but once you're in that rhythm, that, that flow is so profound, it's just absolutely man, it's magnificent. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a joyful I totally celebration. Agree. I totally think so many agree. people, so many people will will start a practice and then get frustrated because nothing is really happening. And you know, there's this this wonderful joke story, whatever. Uh, a man dies, and and Saint Paul meets him at the pearly gates, and he takes him on a tour, and he takes him into. Um, a place where there are it's full of crutches and wheelchairs, and these are where people have been cured, and they don't longer need their equipment. And he takes them into another place, and and it's like these are these are, you know, um, practices that people have given up. They they're no longer addicted. They no longer need their paraphernalia. And then he he takes them into a <clears throat> another room, and it's full of gifts that are wrapped, you know you know beautifully wrapped but not christmas but but there it's it's just a place that's stacked high with gifts that are unbelievable and the man looks at me and says so somebody mugged santa claus and saint peter said no <laughs> these these are gifts that people have been asking for but they gave up asking just before they were delivered ah mm. yeah so that so that it's a matter of if you're if you're looking for the universe to give you something, you have to put the time in, and the effort in, not only not only with the request of happy, you know, wanting to open up or, or be better at something, you have to put the time in to develop that gift that you're asking for. You know, we don't we're not given stuff on a silver platter. We're given opportunities to earn them, and. Um, you know, if you're sitting on a silver platter waiting for somebody to come and, you know, ring the doorbell, forget it, you're going to have a rear end that's tarnished. But if you are looking for like a relationship, if you become the kind of person you want to have in your life, you do attract that kind of person. But you have to work for it. You can't just ask for it and wait for somebody to deliver it. It doesn't work that way. So, well, and sometimes, think, though, uh, sometimes though, things come to us as pure grace. And I think yes. what you're saying is being open, being open, being open and putting yourself in a position to, to receive that grace, which is, uh-huh. which is there, and, and to, have the wisdom to, um, to have the wisdom to recognize the grace when it's there. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're saying the same things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I think you're you're absolutely right. Having somebody that you can correspond with, I, and I love the letter writing because I, I think it's a lost art, and I think that mm-hmm. people have have come to rely upon these emojis and everything else, and they've lost the art of being able to put their feelings elegantly into writing. I have. Um, love letters that my grandfather wrote to my grandmother, and they are gorgeous. Right, right, right. You know, it's because the feeling is there. The feeling has been put onto the paper. And I I often say to people, if you have a thought and it's beautiful and you don't write it down, it will just float in the ether forever. But if you write it down, you have committed it to reality, and it's, it's literally carved in stone. And right. you know it's right. a beautiful thought. So now that, that was so another that, purpose. Yeah, that was another purpose of our book is was to sort of reignite an interest in letter writing, and I think it has. Um, so many people, you know, Brother Paul and I have done some retreats together. He doesn't he doesn't get allowed to go out of the monastery very often. In fact, almost never, and that's why he's not here with us today because he has. He has prayer duties and he has duties at the monastery. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things, you know, people go away and they say from our retreats and they say, 
you know, I know who I'm going to write to now. You know, I know who I'm going to ask to correspond with. And sometimes they write me, you know. And I, I of course, try to write back to everybody that writes to me. Um, but, you know, letter writing has been so important in faith history. You look at the letters of St. Paul, which form the basis of a lot of the theology of Christianity, uh, the letters of, uh, of St. Bernard of uh, Clairvaux, um, you know, the letters of John the Cross, uh, Teresa of Avila, you know, all of these. And then the letters of modern day saints, I'm using that, that, na- that, that word now in a kind of a looser, broader way, but Dorothy Day, the letters of Dorothy Day, her, you know, her published letters are just delightful and full of insights. Dorothy Day, the founder of the Catholic Worker, uh, the Catholic Worker Movement. Or Thomas Merton, whom we talked about before, he wrote something like 20,000 letters in his lifetime. He died when he was 53. He died very young. So 20,000 letters was a lot of letters. Oh. He had 2,000 car- 2000 correspondents, 2,000 people that he was writing to. Um, and, you know, the, the letters contain some of his most profound thinking on so many issues, from social issues to um, uh, topics like prayer and meditation. So letters, letters have been very important in history, in history, and it would be it would be a tragedy not to, you know, to kind of lose that art, as you said. You know, you said that you felt it was a dying art. Oh yeah, if you look at the letters of um, John Adams to his wife Abigail. Yes. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. beautiful letters, and and. You know, yes, they did not have radio, they did not have television, they did not have mailmen, they did not have um, so much that 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 complicates our lives today. And it's it's just um, there was a while back. Um, I mean, I still I have a son who's 55, and on a regular basis, I will write him, I will handwrite him a letter. Um, and and just you know be you know, contemplative and wistful, always positive. You know, I never, I never, never, never is there anything negative in it. It's just like you know, I, I'm so glad that you've done this and you've done a great job with raising both of your kids. I'm so impressed with how intensely you are. You know that kind of stuff. And 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 there's also the, the motherly, don't forget to, and stuff like that. But um, it's. I know that my emails, he he rarely reads. My text messages forget. And if I call him and leave a, a voicemail, he'll see I called and call me back. He won't listen to what I said. So I know that those letters that I have written him are saved. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so that so that it's it's sort of like as as a parent, you want to make sure that 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 you give some some wisdoms out from time to time and right. i think that i think that all of us have the capacity to write beautiful letters if we just would start writing them um i have a a place on my uh website where that 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 is in the works and and it's called letters to the universe it's my asking the universe what are you thinking and you mm-hmm. know what was mm-hmm. the purpose and, and you know why are we going through this kind of stuff like that and and you know every now and then there will be another topic that I think that I should address the universe and and I, I've often said you know I'm going to take a whole bunch of letters with me when I die because I have letters to hand out to people on the other side too but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's 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 important um, to be able to express ourselves in in more than emojis. Right. You bring up a good point because our, our society is so fractured now. Um, we, are, we are talking right before the midterm elections, and there have been reports of you know, people getting shouted at, going to voting polls, and you know, fights breaking out. And, and, of course, we know about the mass shootings, which are so tragic, and there's a yes. war going on in Europe. Um, you know, the world seems to be having a, a nervous breakdown. And so community and communion 
are so important right now, you know. Um, and what is what is letter writing? You know, what is what is writing to another person? It's a form of communion. And you know, Saint Saint uh, Alred of Riveau wrote a long time ago, many many centuries ago, about what he called spiritual friendship. And letter uh-huh. writing is very much in in line with spiritual friendship, where True friendship, he said, is when one person cares about the soul of the other person, where the main motivation in the friendship is the care of the other person. Not what do I get out of this friendship, but what can Uh I put into this friendship? How can I help this other person grow? And and, 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 uh, Allred of Riveau said, you know, those kinds of friendships are eternal that they, they continue on even if your friend passes away before you do, or you pass away before your friend does. Those kinds of friendships are eternal because they're connected to God, to God's love for us and God's communion with us. And so I think that um, as a society, we need right now so much to be looking for means of communion, not just communication, but communion and companioning, companioning one another. Would you would you agree or disagree, Barbara? Oh, absolutely. And I think that that there's um, there's something also with uh, there's compassion as well. Being able mm-hmm. to 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 let someone else have center stage and lis- I think listening is is something that is the greatest gift we can give another person. Genuinely, 100% listening and hearing what they're saying and not turning around and saying, well, that happened to me and this is what I did. But, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I hear what you're saying and, you know, there's pain here and can I help? Is there anything I can do to help? I mean, the, yeah. the listen, you know, someone said to me once, you know, money is so short and Christmas is coming, and I just don't have the money to give gifts, and I don't know what to do, and everybody's saying give. And and I wrote back, and I said, give your time. That's the most mm-hmm, precious thing mm-hmm. you've got. Give your mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. Take them take to lunch, take them shopping, go for walks with them, and listen. You mm-hmm, know, and, mm-hmm. and, take, and put your life to the side for a moment and let them express what's going on inside of them. And don't turn it around on yourself. That's hard to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing, one thing that we, you know, this goes along with listening that we haven't touched upon for people who may be interested in living a more contemplative, intentional life is the importance of silence. Um, Thomas Merton said there is so much talking that goes on that is, in, that is utterly useless. It is in the, the redwoods the sea, the sky, that you will find answers. And what did he mean by that? He meant in the silence, everything begins to connect. But we've got to give ourselves time for that silence. Um, otherwise, we might that, that, that wisdom might never emerge. And, you know, one of the things that you will find in monasteries, plenitude, of silence. In fact, you know, Brother Paul's monastery, the Trappist monastery of the Abbey of Gethsemane in Louisville, um, the hours of, uh, you know, 745 until their first prayers in 315, that's all silence. It's called the grand silence. And then during the day throughout the monastery, unless you have some absolute necessity to be talking, there's silence. So, you know, what does that mean when, when we're being silent? It means that we're, you know, we're able to listen to our, our interior voice. We're able to listen to, as you mentioned, the, the, the wisdom of the earth, you know, the secrets that are out there in the universe, that, that, that what, what the universe might, might be trying to communicate with us. But that takes silence and, you know, it means not having CNN or, or Fox News or whatever you listen to on 24-7. And, you know, it doesn't mean having to talk every single minute of the day. Um, 
but that um, that importance of silence. I'm I'm wondering if you've um, if you've discovered silence, the importance of it in your own life. Oh, ab- absolutely. And you know, I think the the hardest thing for me to do sometimes is to turn off my brain and stop talking inside and listen. And mm-hmm. when I and I find that I am most um, most open and reflective. Uh, late at night, I I am a night person, and mm. as soon as the world calms down, I can hear more uh, inspirational things. Um, that's when I I get I get the flow of energy more easily um, at night when there's not so much chatter around. And um, they often hear. Um, I, I live in a gated community, and when I moved in. I think uh, some of the people were a little um, disturbed by my going out and walking at 3 and 4 in the morning and, you know, 2 and 3 in the morning because that's when I can walk and listen best. And mm-hmm, now they're used mm-hmm. to it. You know, now now they figure no burglar's going to come in here because, you know, I'm I'm unofficial um, night watch. <laughs> and, and mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I am I am often wandering around here late at night and listening to the, the wind in the pine trees or the rustle of the leaves or the, the uh, magnolia trees have leathery leaves and so they rattle and, you know, there's, there's so much profound silence that it gives you great wisdom and if you use that great wisdom to then use it creatively to, to create something that others can possibly reflect on and say, Oh, that's interesting. You know, if if I can just make people think, my job here is done. Yeah, yeah. I'm a great believer of just um, going out at night and looking at the night sky because uh, even if you live in an urban area, I live in a college town now. Um, but you know, even when I lived in Chicago, you could still see some. You could still see the moon. You could still see some. You know, quite a few of the planets and stars if it was a very clear night and um, you realize the, the vastness of the universe, and it makes your problems and petty concerns seem seem very small, and it, it puts things in, into perspective. So, you know, I think that's another great contemplative pla- practice that doesn't cost a thing. <laughs> it's just to, you oh, know, yeah. to go and out and and look at the, the converse with the universe. Look at the night sky. Well, yeah, I spent weeks meditating on Venus only mm-hmm. to discover that I was meditating on the space station. But <laughs> oh, okay. right. Yes. Yeah, but it is kind of okay. big that that yeah, it does kind of look like a planet. Yes, indeed. But uh, okay. yeah, I mean, yeah. I thought it was Venus, so what the heck? But That's the meditation right. yeah. was still there. <laughs> but it right, was like right. Somebody said, "What are you? St- why are you staring at the space station?" And I said, "What?" They <laughs> said, "Yeah, Venus is over there," and so <clears throat> I adjusted my my focus. But but still, it, still, it was the fact that I was focusing on something that gave me a sense of of uh, openness, so that so that stuff could and stuff flows into you so beautifully when you do that. It just it's it's such a it's such a cool time, and it's it's you get I get very excited about it. Yes. But it, it just yeah. yeah I think that I think that your book really helps people to understand that 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 there are free ways to expand yourself and be a seeker spiritually. You don't have to you don't have to take classes. You don't have to uh, sign up for all sorts of things. You just if you if you just allow yourself to get in touch with yourself. And and let the let the creativity flow. You, you can surprise yourself, and it changes your life immeasurably. It gives you energy. It's exciting. It's um, you know obviously I I'm not in a monastery, so the excitement is cool. And and I I, I think I would you know I could I could do the contemplative stuff, but then I'd want to do something with what came from the contemplation. <laughs> so. 
you know. Right. How can I well, you know what what you're talking about is being a contemplative in action, and and I think that's yeah. a, you know, that's a good thing to strive to be a contemplative in action. You know, for those of us who live in the secular world, and and that we balance both um, the contemplative parts of our lives, the reflective, meditative parts, with the active parts of our lives that we that we all want to live. We all want we all want to make a contribution. And and even the space station has something to offer. Um, <laughs> I actually I actually got some very cool material from it. So. I think right. it's, the, it's, right. it's, it's, it's the focusing. Um, I just noticed, and we are out of time, but I, I do. I want to thank you so very much for, um, you know, jumping around timeways and 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 uh, scheduling for the show. I just, I, I really think your book has a lot to share, and I'm hopeful that people will pick it up and and enjoy your journey with with Brother Paul and and hopefully find a way that they can find a similar process for themselves so that so that they can expand upon their focus and their understanding of life as we know it. Excellent. Well, I'd love to, to hear from your listeners and um thank you so much Barbara for this opportunity. It was a it was a it was a privilege to talk with you. Well, it was a, it was a pleasure for me and and let's keep in touch. We will. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye, Barbara. Thank you, everybody. Uh, Catch me on Monday night. I'll be back then. Good night and uh, good afternoon. And consider taking the time to get to know yourself better. It's an amazing journey, and uh, there's great insight there if you only give yourself a chance to uh, let it flow. Take care now.